Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Oh my gosh, y'all, I cannot get over all the friends we have in the Big Red Barn tonight. This is unbelievable. My name's Katie. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the lead evangelist here at Galileo Church. And I just want to say that in the house tonight, we have representatives from Mekam Shalanu, a a synagogue, an open and affirming synagogue in Fort Worth, from the UU Church in Arlington, from numerous other churches I can't even name, from the Metroplex Atheists, from the Democratic Socialists of America, from, who am I leaving out? Mercy. Arlington, oh my gosh, yeah, for inclusion, Arlington Residence for Inclusion. It's amazing. I really, really can't say thanks enough. Thanks for coming out. We got no protesters to give you, but I promise it wasn't a trick. (laughs) They said they were coming, and they came the last time, so we'll see what happens in December. We'll send out the the red flag again. Um, We've been in a worship series over the last several weeks on faith, hope, and love. We've just been taking turns, faith, hope, love, faith, hope, love. Tonight, we've come back around to hope. Uh, and so I'm reading tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a more or less familiar scripture, one we usually come around to at Easter time, uh, and I'm glad to share it with you tonight. I'm starting in verse 12 and reading through verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified of God that God raised Christ, whom God did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
I'm glad Steph talked about that song before we sang it. We adopted that song, Maybe All Is Not Lost, as Galileo Church's unofficial theme song all the way back in 2013 when we first started worshiping together because it was our intention from the start to never overpromise, you know? I mean, we figured that Big C Church in U.S. America in the third millennium as a once powerful but now mostly washed-up competitor in the tournament of world-interpreting, world-making narratives really has no business now making grandiose claims about the omnipower of God in Christ to carry history along to a triumphant close where justice rolls down like waters and loving-kindness swells every human heart. The most we felt like we could say with integrity is, maybe all is not lost. Maybe. Indeed, Galileo Church has said from our beginning that it feels like the time for shouting, God is good, and expecting everyone to shout back all the time is long gone and good riddance. Because it asks people to deny the truth of their own experiences of unrelenting and unmitigated suffering in this world. It introduces a problematic category of God's goodness without really saying what we mean by that. And it forces us to suppress our fear that if God is powerful enough to make all things right, maybe... God is simply unwilling to do so, or mostly inattentive to the situation on the ground? Or if God is willing and attentive, maybe maybe God just isn't strong enough to bring about what the nebulous category of good would require of a God who is that all the time? We are far from the first ones to confront this dilemma, right? For our very earliest ancestors in faith, the question of whether God or somebody else or nobody at all was driving the bus of history was a live one. The prophets recorded in the Hebrew Bible definitively said that it is and always has been God at the wheel. Even when God's people are losing badly, trounced by conquering armies, their babies hauled into enslavement, it's somehow because that's God's plan to bring everything back together for good. Jesus riffed obsessively on the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, the regime of the one he called Abba, where small is strong and down is elevated and the kicked out are the true insiders, the meek and mournful peacemakers, justice seekers, the nearest to God's own heart. Come on, come closer, he was always saying. The world that God wants is right here among you, growing secretly like a seed germinating in soil, like yeast leavening your daily bread. Right here, right now, God is getting everything God wants. Let those with eyes to see, see. But what people around him mostly saw were imperial occupiers and a ruthless economy and an exhausting tomorrow for their children that was going to look exactly like today. (laughs) A system that could kill the soul and the body if you step too far out of line. He fucked around and found out, is one way to look at it. And so on, through the ages. 
where early Christians were persecuted into the catacombs beneath Rome, where our kinfolk, the Jews, were herded into concentration camps and murdered by the millions, where LGBTQ plus folks are literally illegal in many countries around the world, and where political candidates in this country can still score a standing ovation for saying if they are elected, they will make trans identity illegal with an act of Congress where brown and black-bodied citizens and immigrants, our neighbors either way, are harassed, arrested, and sometimes killed with impunity in the name of the false god of safety, where Christian nationalists spend their energy, and if they were a little braver, a rainy Sunday afternoon when they could be home <laughs> napping, I think they opted for the nap. Bullying trans kids and their families and their allies in order to assert the hegemony of their wish for the world to work always in their favor. Ages upon ages where the world has been burning figuratively and now too often and too broadly, literally. Come to think of it, there's really never been a time when the followers of Jesus should have asserted that it's fine, you're fine, everything's fine, God is good all the time, etc. It's just never been true for most people, most of the time. It's less and less true for all the time for most species on our planet, for the planet itself now. So how is it that we still stand by our little half-assed assertion, that meek and mournful, peacemaking, justice-hungry assertion that maybe, 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 just maybe, all is not lost? We do it. Hang on to your hats. We do it by exercising a truly powerful but easily corruptible, uniquely human capacity that of the imagination. Now, I don't mean imagination in the sense of pretense or delusion, as in imagining that a certain fictional holiday benefactor in a jolly red suit is real, or imagining that the models on magazine covers are really that thin or that smooth or that light-skinned, or imagining that you won't bear consequences if you have just one more round of whatever soul-emptying indulgence you are trapped by. I mean imagination as a capacity to consider what is possible for the world's future if, indeed, God is still driving this bus, if, indeed, God's reign is germinating in the very dirt under our feet. If, indeed, the arc of the moral universe, long though it is, is bending imperceptibly in some seasons toward justice, toward God getting everything God wants. I mean imagination that follows the sun like a sunflower in full bloom. Imagination that wakes every day with room for the possibility that God's mercies will be new again today. I mean imagination that allows for the slightest chance that your family of origin won't be as shitty as possible this Thanksgiving. That your long-endured solitude will yield to gentle companionship. 
that your beloved, beautiful body will accomplish all that it was meant to, and that your neighbors will come to appreciate your beauty and strength. I mean imagination as a capacity for an appreciation of what may come if God is faithful and attentive and, yes, good in ways we might not yet know but will come to understand if we are open to it. I mean imagination that works like a belay in rock climbing, that second rope that catches the climber whose grip slips, the belay, the imagination catches you before you descend too far into despair. Because with a belay, you can see a way out, a way up, a way home. I mean, imagination that tells a story about the future that runs counter to today's evidence. Like this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. And I know that the way we've been taught to read this, the way it's been handed down to us, is to hear here a promise of an afterlife, of a heaven beyond this reality where dead people are no longer dead and all the ills of our present day have been defeated so that we get an eternal vacation as a reward for our endurance through this slog. Having been born Christian, in other words, we won the spiritual lottery and will wave bye-bye to all those poor saps who weren't lucky enough to get it like we did. But truly, riffing on something Paul says in this passage, if for the afterlife only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I know, Paul actually says, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But I think he would be pleased with my alteration. I don't know, fingers crossed. If, if for the afterlife only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because I think for Paul, I think for all serious-minded people who follow Jesus, the whole point of this resurrection from the dead thing is to change what we can see about this present moment. The whole point of resurrection, of God's power over the power of death, is to populate our imaginations with what is possible when God is getting what God wants. Not later, but now. That's the thing about hope, see? Hope is not about escaping the present for a pie-in-the-sky future. I looked up pie-in-the-sky, by the way, and it turns out that that phrase was introduced by the labor activist songwriter Joe Hill as a parody hymn, a biting satire of the Christian promise that things would be so much better in heaven that we could just leave matters on earth well enough alone, even at the expense of ignoring the suffering of ourselves and our neighbors, for real. Thanks be to God 
for the labor activist songwriters. Hope that is actual Christian hope, actual resurrection hope, is meant to oppose the nihilism that creeps in if we start to imagine that either life, this one or the next one, is the only one that matters. Resurrection hope says life matters now because life always matters to God. Your life matters now because your life will always matter to God. Trans kids' lives matter to God now because trans kids' lives will always matter to God. Both today and tomorrow are in God's hands. And we are carried from one day to the next by God's care. Even if you are not experiencing that right now, hope says, with the eyes of your imagination, let yourself contemplate what it would mean if it were true. Let yourself live now as if your existence tomorrow and forever is held by God. Live in hope and let that hope power you through the present moment, no matter how fucked up it is, because this is not the end. Because God has more, always more, new mercies every morning, even on the morning you don't wake up in this life. Christian hope says that today is transformed by what we imagine can happen tomorrow. This is what I hate most about the protesters who keep promising to come back. And the fear and the hatred that simply by their announcement that they would be here tonight, they stir up. With the lies that they tell about us and about all our friends, it's not that they're dangerous to our bodies, though we are seriously mindful that they could steer some sick and well-armed soul to do us actual bodily harm. I'm more concerned, though, tonight that they are dangerous to our hope, that they diminish our capacity for hope by soaking up our imaginations like a dry sponge. They hijack our imaginations, forcing us to think about exits and guards and cameras and guns. They populate our mind's eyes with the ugliest possible images, haunting our waking nightmares with what-ifs that rudely, violently shove joy and celebration out of the way. Whether there are none of them or five of them or 500 of them out there, they take hostage our imaginations and force our attention on that which blocks out the rising sun, the new mercies of each day, the possibility that life prevails because that's what God wants and God fucking gets everything God fucking wants. I would never suggest that we should ignore or not take seriously or not devote significant resources to protecting against the persecution that comes knocking on our front door. Just as we tell the truth the best we can about the atrocities of violence and discrimination and climate catastrophe and all the phobias that lead to scapegoating every day all around the world and in our own backyard. But I believe also 
that our capacity for hope must be tended to, taken seriously, cared for, our imaginations well-funded by well-told stories of God's faithfulness, by well-planned experiences of the joy we have been promised, not pie in the sky, but here and now, the joy of believing, the joy of loving, the joy of together. There is a story that I tell in G101. It's a class we run for newcomers just to help make explicit all the things that are normally implicit and kind of secretive at a church. And a lot of y'all have been through G101, so you've already heard the story. But listen, I've heard it more than anybody, and I never get tired of it, so I'm going to tell it again. It's, it's less of a story, actually, and more of an image. An image for your imagination, if you see what I mean, right? It's an image worthy of contemplation as a kind of exercise in faithful imagination. I'll, uh, I'll act it out. It's about a church that wears sensible shoes and a church that hunkers down, a church with a low center of gravity, right? It's about a church that, that grabs on together and leans back together, hands clutching, arms straining, heels digging against the ground while upper bodies pull, pull, pull. It's about a church that grunts and farts together because pulling so hard requires the noisy expulsion of energy. It's about a church where when one person's quads quiver or their biceps get noodly, they can tap out and somebody else will scoot into their place so they can go rest on the comfy couches. It's about a church where the ones who can't pull today shout their encouragement from the sidelines where they are in charge of keeping the beer and the lemonade cold. It's about a church with bandages at the ready for those whose hands blister and break from the effort. It's about a church that believes it's got work to do right here, right now, pulling on this great rope with all our might because we believe it can be done, this task we've been given because we have been imagining it. We have imagined it a million trillion times. We have been dreaming about it, and we woke up this morning fueled by new mercies for the task at hand. And what, what is on the other end of that rope, you ask? Oh, church, it is the hoped-for reign of God, where God gets everything God wants. It is God's dream for the world, for you and me, for trans kids and black bodies and immigrants and the developing countries of the southern hemisphere. It is the justice the moral arc of the universe bends toward. It is resurrection at the other end of that rope, and it is coming back to life from the dead. It is Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, all those who belong to Christ, it is all of our tomorrows held in God's powerful, attentive, compassionate heart. It is new mercies every morning of the world. It is God's future. It is for us now, here. Don't let them have it, church. Imagine with me. This is our only hope. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.